Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Chad Lewis, who is the director of technology at Tamper Preparatory School. And we are talking about some cool tech initiatives that he has going on. Whoa, you're going to love this. You will absolutely be inspired by this discussion. So much to learn. And by the way, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left some kind words about the podcast. And how about a five-star rating? Hmm, could you do that for me? That would be so cool. Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Leto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Leto. Chad Lewis has been the Director of Technology at Tampa Preparatory School in Tampa, Florida since August 2010. He oversees all facets of technology at the school, from network infrastructure and security to educational technology and training. Lewis was also responsible for the school's one-to-one iPad initiative. He designed and supervised the implementation of Tampa Prep's Active Learning Environment, or AILS, classroom design. And he created the, uh, the IDEA Innovate, Design, Explore, Apply Lab, or Idea Lab, which was one of the first secondary VR creation labs in the nation. In 2016, Lewis won the Tampa Bay Business Journal's Nonprofit CIO of the Year Award and, and the Tampa Bay Technology Forum's Industry Achievement Award for Technologist of the Year. Tampa Prep was recognized as an Apple Distinguished School for two consecutive years under his leadership. What cool stuff is going on? Chad, thanks so much for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Um, Happy to talk about what we're doing and the exciting future of technology and education. Very cool. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and uh, kudos for all that recognition there, man. You got a lot of stuff happening. So I, I got to ask this before we go any further. So um, Tampa, been there a whole bunch, uh, been to the area, St. Pete, and I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, mm-hmm. So not, well, super far away, but not that far away. <laughs> it, it'd be different if we were in the Keys or something like that, but uh, yeah. um, good stuff. Are you? So you uh, did you grow up in Florida? Or are you uh, from no, Florida? I'm, I'm a native Texan from the Fort, Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, left when I joined the Army at 18, and haven't been back since. I'm well over 18 now, but <laughs> uh, we won't go into that detail. Um, but yeah, not a native. I've been at um, in Florida for about tw- uh, 22 years now. Oh, cool! Very good. So um, very nice. So uh, let's let's. Let's get into some questions here. I mean, let's start with your interest in technology. Uh, where'd that come from? Well, strangely enough, um, when I was young, I was into martial arts. I was in, this was in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, and I was into karate and ninjas and everything else martial arts related. And uh, met uh, my karate instructor, Japanese man, and started learning Japanese um, in elementary school, late elementary school, early middle school, and uh, spent about three months in Japan when I was young. So that kind of started my interest in linguistics, which I think actually, strangely enough, kind of has something to do with problem solving, which therefore has something to do with technology and what it can do. I've never really been a, too much of a nuts and bolts guy. I really didn't care how things worked. I wanted to know what it could do for people, what you could do with it. So uh, the problem solving was always part of my um, interest and the linguistics kind of blossomed from the army when I started um, I was a, a Russian interpreter in the army and uh, learned Russian, and uh, then in college did uh, some double major in German and Russian, and uh, 
Then after my BA, went back and got my associate's degree, and that started my technology route. I got my associate's degree in computer networking, and then later on my MBA with in the focus on IT management. But um, I think it really has to do with that kind of always be interested in what what uh, tools you can use to make people's lives better, faster, and more efficient. That's cool. The uh, oh my gosh, man! You got uh, you got a couple of languages under your belt. Not easy languages either. There, if there is such a thing. But uh, oh my gosh, Japanese, Russian, nice, and uh, I'm illiterate in three languages now. <laughs> that is incredible. Kudos there. That's uh, well, good stuff. What a cool background. And uh, you know what? One of the things I gotta I gotta say is this: is that when you read your uh, um, resume and your your bio you you're the director of technology at tampa preparatory school in tampa and uh, as i read in your bio you have many hats that you wear but tell me what you do what do you see as your main role as director of technology i think um, one thing that drew me to tampa prep and i've been here 12 years uh of my five-year plan <laughs> and uh that that speaks to the mission statement um one thing that drew me here was the the mission statement of think create be yourself aspire to excellence and go beyond a couple of those statements in there really spoke to me to think and create. And I think this school really walks it like it talks it. Um, I think um, our job is to help students pursue their passions in any way we can, whether that's art, athletics, technology, whatever it is. And this school does a really good job of through material means as well as education and support in general for helping students to pursue their passions. And that's Kind of what my role is, it's uh, um, to fulfill that mission. That's so awesome. And just a note, it's like, uh, you know, what you're making me think about is uh, how far we've come in. Uh, it's, you know, I, I can say a short period of time, but it, in some cases, it's you know, a lifetime. But uh, um, just, you know, it seems like not so long ago, um, we're looking at, uh, um, you know, these really cool, uh, this really cool thing called email. And, right. uh, and, yeah. and when it got into the schools, we'd say things like, Hey, did you get my email that I sent you? <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that. Um, uh, your head up. 20 the years in, I've been through all that. I've been through hosting our first exchange server on time. Uh, yeah. It's been a long road. And it's, but, uh, Something else, because yeah. because we're getting ready to get into some really cool stuff that you've um, you've got going on, and uh, um, so it's a long way from uh, from those early days like that, and just all the the funny stuff that uh, used to it used to happen. I, I'll never forget one. I I was there to see some training on this new software program, um, but they didn't uh, have any laptops or Chromebooks for <laughs> us. So hard. so they talked to us about this new software without any technology around us that was that was cool that was a long time yeah. ago too but hey fun stuff so chad you you have some very awesome credits to your name let's talk about what ale is so um about 10 years ago the head of school came to me and said chad we became an ipad one-to-one -one school this year every kid has a device but we really think we need to address the physical learning space and this was again kind of before everybody really started addressing that um so ALE or active learning environment uh, is kind of an acronym for what we've tried to do. We've tried to make learning more active. We've tried to make it where um, it's not so lecture based solely, teacher centric solely. We've given it a lot of access and autonomy to students to, for instance, project just as easily as a teacher can. Um, every classroom is the same model throughout the school. And we did that purposefully because A, um, we wanted students and teachers to have the kind of 
same experience and no matter what class in the same opportunity in every classroom. And then we do have some teachers that float. So you never want to be a teacher that you go into one room and you have this and the next room you don't have this and this. So all the same. And they're based on tearing down the concept of a front and back of a classroom. So when you look at one of our rooms, you can't tell which is the teacher side and which is the student side. Every student is on a mobile uh, steel case node chair, which can be moved in an instant. We have at least two Epson BrightLink projectors per room, one on opposite walls, some have three. Um, and what that does is we also have an Apple TV on each of those. And being an iPad one-to-one -one school and teachers have both a MacBook and an iPad, um, nobody plugs into HDMI anymore, by the way. It's all wireless all the time, it's, but it makes things much faster and more efficient. So if a student wants to back up, a, uh, uh, they're having a, um, a discussion and they want to back up a concept and they found some content on the website or something, they can just literally in a, a second, the teacher can can choose their, their iPad and blast it to the computer. So there's no more wasting time. Okay, I want to show you something. Hold on, let me get up, walk over here, plug in HDMI. Those days are over. So it makes things much more efficient and fast. And having the two screens per room, at least, has been transformational as well. I'll walk by the same classroom two times within one class period, and they'll be completely different layouts. Beginning of class, maybe the teacher's talking, and they will be displaying some content, and it's on two sides of the room, the same content. And once half of the kids will be facing, or one kid will face one projector, and then the other ones are facing another one. Everybody's going to get a front row experience. There's no back of the classroom. Then I walk by the same period, and now there's a group of kids working at one projector and a group at another, and maybe a group at a third, and they're do, doing collaborative work, and they're all showing different content. So we've made it um, almost seamless to use the technology, which is one important thing. Been in technology long enough, and, and my mom was a teacher and my wife is a teacher. I know that teachers don't have time to mess around with finding out where this button is to do this and where the batteries are for this. So we have a um, an FSR touch panel that allows you to select what image you want or what, what remote you want. Everything, there's no more remotes. It's all built into there. I want to show the teacher image on all of them. I want to have Apple TV one showing this. So it's all integrated. If you can read English, you can use it. Um, but it's just been... Uh, you know, it's funny because one of the teach one of the students said to me when first started, he says, "Hey, Mr. Lewis, uh, I can't hide from learning anymore." <laughs> I love that quote. Very nice. And also, we addressed so we wanted to address the the visual aspect. Every kid should be able to see the content. We wanted to address the auditory concept, the aspect. So, you know, sometimes in an active learning environment, especially things get active, things get loud. Well, the teacher might need to be louder. So they have all a lapel mic from uh, Lightspeed Technologies, a red cat lapel mic, and they can up their voice. But even on a day-to-day -day basis, when they're not consciously upping, upping their voice, when you're writing on a board, your voice gets absorbed by that wall, all right? And we did some research, and surprisingly, a lot of, especially middle school boys, have auditory issues that are either unidentified or just naturally are there. So for everyone to be able to hear in the classroom is super important. I had a parent come to me and also say a parent said, you know, my son came to me and said, you know, he's in the sixth grade and this is the first time he's ever been able to hear the teacher, which is ridiculous and sad, but I'm glad we're addressing the issue. That's excellent. You know, that's one of those things that uh, um, 
is it, it's important. I mean, and, and forget <laughs> other stuff. Just simply, just the the resonance of the room. If the person who's speaking has a soft voice, and right. and there's enough bodies in there, there's enough space to you know stop the sound from bouncing uh, from uh, getting to the the person or whatever. So that's that's cool stuff. That's uh, that's nice because. Uh, I mean, I was a kid who sat uh, kind of like in the middle of the room to the side, but uh, um, I was in the back. <laughs> in the back, nice, nice. Aha! I got to watch you. That's or right. in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, that's excellent. Uh, good stuff. So, um, you, you know what? I mean, how did you guys? Uh, I mean, did you just have to? Did you say to somebody, "Hey, I got this idea," or did you? No. Uh, yeah. So that was interesting. This is I can't take credit for all the ideas. The ideas, the concepts of what the classroom should be like was a teacher and student driven initiative. This is where kudos goes to the school. Not only did we interview teachers and when I came to teachers and talked to them, I said, let's not talk about tech. Let's talk about you. I can guarantee you're going to have four walls and a roof. The rest is up to you. What's important in the classroom. And they said things like flexibility, you know, equity, the hearing and seeing content um, that those types of concepts, which are very important in building. I chose a tools, to, again, this is where I think what I was talking about before, choosing tools to enable what they need, what they asked for. And they asked me to come up with solutions to address those needs. And that's what we did. Not only did we interview teachers, this is what's great about this school. I don't know any schools that do this. We uh, solicited and interviewed students about the same thing. What do you want in your classroom? How many schools would talk to kids? Not many. Not many. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's paid off in other ways too. During uh, the, the COVID days, um, we, uh, we had the ability because of the ALE and the lapel mics to remotely teach because you could wear your, uh, red cat lapel mic, plug in your, um, your MacBook to the Epson Brightlink projector. And then as you write digitally with a digital pen on the wall, it would record your writing and your voice. And then you could load, you know, upload that as a podcast or a video which was nice because A, it wasn't like now the teacher has to take more time to create something. It's just real time. And if you have a bad hair day or you don't want to be on the screen, it's just capturing what you write with your voice, which is, you know, important. So, Oh yeah. Cool. I love that. Especially um, from another standpoint, because that means then the teacher can take that and, you know, throw it out there on a website or something like that. Yeah. So parents then can, uh, you know, when the child comes home and says, Hey, I don't have any work. And they're like, Oh really? I was just watching your teacher. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to let that one out of the bag there, uh, kids, but uh, good stuff. I love that. Uh, all right. We're going to shift gears a little bit here. We're going to talk about something called VR. And before we get into VR, tell us what VR means to you. What is what? What are you talking about when you say VR? Well, okay. So I think there's a, you know, the differentiation between virtual reality and augmented reality. And um, there are differences. There, there are tangible differences between the two in, in regards to um Virtual reality, I would call that an immersive tech uh, where you are immersed in another environment. You are not distracted by, you do not see your physical environment has its power, right? You can't be, for learning, for instance, you can't be distracted. You're in that environment. You can't look at your friend. You can't pay some, pass a love note to your girlfriend. You can't do anything but pay attention to what you're in. That's the power of virtual reality, the complete immersion. Also, the ability to do things in a virtual realm that are potentially dangerous, but very expensive or take a lot of space. And a primary example of that is um, a chemistry lab. So we have a virtual reality chemistry lab app 
called the HoloLens Champions. And it's a great chemistry lab. So not only are you able to, you know, or, uh, and I'm not a chemist, so I'm going to use some very rudimentary words here, <laughs> um, pour uh, fluids or into a, a beaker at a certain level, and you have a lab manual that goes with that. But if you drop that or you pour too much, it does that in the virtual realm. Now, if I were to drop certain chemicals in a physical realm, it might be an issue. Same with Bunsen burners. You have a virtual Bunsen burner that you're actually managing just like you would a real one. So that that's the, the safety issue is there too. So I think that immersive tech has its power and in VR, what I mean by that, is, is being able to do things you can't do in, in the real world. Um, augmented reality is a different issue and it has its power. Um, you know, because you're leveraging your physical environment. That's where you want to interact with your physical environment. So um, augmented reality is great for things like, of course, tours or anything where you're like, look, you know, museums use AR quite a bit and and also for troubleshooting things, you know, in the business world, if you have like, let's say you're working on a piece of equipment and someone can't physically be there with you, you overlay content onto top of what you're working on. So that's kind of the difference with, between AR and VR a little bit. Um, AR seems to be very popular right now in education just because it's much easier to implement. Obviously, you don't have to have a headset, an immersive headset to do things. It's easier to roll out. It has some power to it. Um, but again, I think that virtual reality, as it becomes more accessible, will continue to become hugely relevant in education. I know that there's some companies working on um, even virtual schooling with virtual reality. And that's a game changer too. I think that technology will continue to um, break down the necessity of, of the physical space. I mean, as we've seen with, with what happened with COVID and, and in higher ed, especially, I think it's going to be important because to be honest, my experience learning calculus with 350 other students in an auditorium, not that was suboptimal. Let's play it that way. I would much rather have that be online, be able to pause, turn up the volume, maybe interact even with the chat because you're not raising your hand with 400 students in a you know auditorium. So that's and that's a power of it. I think that higher ed would be best suited to like let's stop building auditoriums, let's do more small group interactions if possible, and you know leverage technology for virtual learning as much as we can. And then the you know the small group work is great. I, I got to say this, that, that's awesome. And I hadn't even thought about going this direction with this, this conversation because, you know, that's something that uh, um, at, at one point in my uh, uh, undergraduate uh, directions that I followed, uh, um, I was at this university in the uh, state of Florida that was a very large university. And, uh, um, and I had a couple of classes. I had been a graduate of a military program where I got, um, got commissioned in, my, in two years and I had to finish out in another program someplace and they wanted me to take everything over again that I was taking all these sciences and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Right. Well, one of the classes, they made sure that I had to take a humanities class and most of those classes were massive. All right. They wanted me to take again. There are all these classes that you would have had to take as a freshman. And I'm right. like, Oh my gosh, you know? Right. And well, one of those classes, they said it's a humanities class. And they said, you got to take one of these three classes. One was a was poetry about death, and I went, okay, I'm not taking that one. That's just, <laughs> I, and I've never been able to remember what the third one was. But the one I chose, which I thought would you know be pretty good, right up my alley, was uh, Greek mythology, and okay. uh, it was in a and it was in an auditorium of over 700 
seats. It had it had in the beginning, I think it had like seven. All every seat was filled, and then they quickly, as the professor would talk from slide, um, from uh, you know the the uh, overhead projector to the sec. She had two overhead right. projectors set up, and she'd put a slide on one, and she'd talk, and then she'd walk to the other one, and she'd put a new slide on that one, and she'd talk from that one, go over and you know, like that. And so eventually, what happened was students started realizing that now this you know really dates me here okay but uh, the first of all i'm talking about uh, you know the the overheads those overhead projectors <laughs> but uh, but the other thing that uh, happened there was that kids started showing up where they had tape recorders so they're there because someone's paying them to be there with someone else's tape recorder <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know? yeah and uh, um oh my gosh that class would have been so much better <laughs> 750 oh, yeah. kids is one of those things you're like yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if you had a question, you know, you couldn't ask in class, you had to go right. to her office and tell her what your number was so that then she looked up your grade. Um, yeah. cause she didn't know you by names and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, what an awesome, that, that's an awesome way of you using that. When you think about it in classes that at a big place where you had so much going on, it would have been so much better <laughs> in that oh, type yeah, of hire. Sure. But uh, good stuff. I mean, uh, all right. So let's get into this. Um, a little bit more. So uh, you have an idea lab. So what role does VR play in the idea lab? Okay. Well, that's a, that's another story of the uh, uh, supporting students in pursuing their passions and the create, uh, innovate, create philosophy. Um, when we first got our first Oculus VR station, even before they had the, they just had a headset. There was no controllers. There was no interactivity as far as controlling things. It was just viewable content. But we thought, well, we look, we're, you know, we're trying to be the forward of technology. So we want to see what this VR means. So we got it and we would put it on a mobile rolling uh, desk and run it over to different classrooms and show maybe the Roman Colosseums and see that. And one of the students said, Hey, um, Mr. Lewis, uh, I'm one of the computer science students do you mind if I try to build an application for this? <laughs> At which point we said, uh, not only yes, but how can we help you in any way with this? Because awesome. we didn't teach VR development because it was so new, there was nobody doing it. Now we've been teaching VR creation with Unity um, for about four years. So, but this student wanted to do this. So, and when I talked to the students, I said, well, what are you trying to build? What do you, what do you want to do? And he had a really interesting idea. He said, you know, I'm taking chemistry. And on a piece of paper, when I'm drawing molecules, it's not a, it's a flat piece of paper. I'm trying to represent a 3D molecule with. There's actually, the binding is not flat. So I want to be able to draw, but it's not really what I want to do. I want to be able to see a 3D molecule. So when I take, you know, two hydrogen atoms and combine it with an oxygen to build a water molecule, I want to see it as it should be. And so he, he built an app that was a, a molecule binding application in Unity, which nobody knew at the time. On his own, he's discovered Unity and started learning it and built it. And then we were like, okay, that's step one. B, um, how do you feel about um, starting a club for this? Because we had other computer science students. He said, that'd be awesome. So he actually started the uh, uh, VR development club in the afternoons. And we said, well, we don't have a space for this. So we um, had a librarian coming in and we took part of the librarian's office because it was we, we live downtown and there's not a lot of space. So we're always conscious of space utilization. We took part of the, the office space she was using and uh, we built a VR lab 
And in it, we had, uh, and we still have, uh, three Oculus Rifts and two HTC Vibes. So five stations, and it's all connected with an Epson Brightlink projector. And then the reason we do that is, you know, when you have um, a bunch of separate computers and you want to have some people, maybe class come in, where you've got 15 kids, well, they can't all be on five stations at the same time, but you'd like to be able to see what the kids are seeing in VR, even though it's a different experience, obviously. So we have it so where there's a distribution app in the ceiling and you can take the content of any of the uh, the computers and display it on that big projector. So that's cool. So so it kind of keeps everybody in in seeing what's what the people are working on or what they're doing or what they're playing with. So we did that. And uh, by the way, the Innovate, the Idea Lab stands for Innovate, Design, Explore, and Apply. So we thought that was a good acronym. We, we kind of banded about some ideas and it still um, applies because um, it's not just used for VR. We also use it as it's a makerspace and we do 3D printing. In fact, we do projects where kids will uh, will build 3D models in uh, in VR on the uh, one of the apps we use is called Medium. So it's a sculpting app where you can take the controllers and it's almost like pulling clay, but you're in VR and you're building a 3D asset, you know, and then you can print it out on the 3D printers. You can use it as a project in Unity. So it's a very flexible environment. That's so awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. Did, did, this has got my, my geek side really <laughs> hyped up now. This awesome. is what a cool stuff, man. The, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, so I got to ask you, you know, this is, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I just wonder um, how long it's going to take. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I like Star Wars. All right. Uh So, and one of the coolest things is like in Star Wars or in other stories, when they, when the characters then look at an image that's been pulled in front of them. And so in the case of Star Wars, it's a world or the Death Star or something like this. Um, So are you guys there yet? No, no holographic images yet, but um, we did have a teacher asking us for one, but not quite there yet. But who knows? But the answer, actually, in VR is sort of that. I mean, that's you could theoretically. You got a three D world in front of you. And there you go. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, all right. So, so let's talk a little. You got some awesome stuff happening there, man. We got uh, um, this is this is really cool. So, let's talk about the role that technology can play in engaging kids in the classroom. I mean, um, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff out there. Um, how do you how, yeah. how does it help a teacher get those kids to say, "Hey, this is cool. I want to do more." Yeah, I think, I mean, I think part part of the ALE concept was how to address that. Um, and a lot of, and technology has enabled us to also kind of tear down those four walls. I mean, you're not limited to what's in that room. You know, definitely when I grew up in the old time, 70s and 80s, it was the only content was the book and the teacher. That's your source of knowledge. Well, nowadays, as we see with the Idea Lab uh, concept, initiated by a student who had on their own volition found something out there called unity that no of us, none of us knew about and had learned it on their own through YouTube or some other concept. So uh, some other utilities. So I think that we're at the tipping point where um, we're starting to realize that, that it's not really knowledge acquisition. That's important for us to do in the educational environment. It's helping students leverage their, you know, ask, access to knowledge and also what they do with it, action, what can you do with it? And that's where the creation and the building, I think is important, whether, and when I say building, I mean, whether it's a paper or, or a 
coding program or something physical, the creation, it's important to, you know, help students understand how to, how to leverage these, this information that's everywhere. I mean, the source of information is no longer the teacher, to be honest, it's, it's everywhere. So how do we flip and encourage students? I think encouragement support is huge. Um, you know, it's a, it's definitely a different world. Um, and it's exciting. I think the democratization of access to information is huge for the world. I mean, it, it was a very um, in, in, inequality. <laughs> I have to take that word out. Um, it, the, it was a very um, unbalanced world as far as access to information previously, whereas now anyone can get in access to any information they need. Um, and so that means more competition, obviously. You have people that we weren't competing with on a worldwide stage that now we are. So we need to, and that goes back to, I'm going off a tangent here, but AI, I mean, um, that's a big debate in schools right now, artificial intelligence. What do we do? How do we block it? Well, are we, it kind of goes back to, you know, remember, remember when, oh, the internet was bad and, you know, Wikipedia was bad and everything, YouTube was bad. And now we're all using it. Um, I think we're better off teaching kids the, the powers and potential sticking points of artificial intelligence because it's just another tool to make things more efficient. And um, we're seeing that right now in in the job market, I think. And we've been playing with a little bit of things like uh, one of our teachers has been using uh, um, Microsoft 3, 365 Copilot, which is another AI utility to basically do programming with. I mean, you could basically say, hey, build me a program or build me, you know, a, you know, program in Python that does this, this, and this, and it kind of does it pretty well. Now, not completely, but definitely helpful, right? So why not start teaching kids how to leverage these technologies rather than pretending that we can stop it? You know, turn it in. Oh, my God, turn it in isn't catching this stuff. Well, they're working on a solution to find it. Well, maybe we need to change the way we evaluate students, you know? That's uh, so powerful what you're talking about. I'm glad you went there too, because it's it allows us to talk about some things. Because you know, it's funny. So, like when I was in high school, and there was electricity then, and um, <laughs> you know, but uh, we had uh, um, I'll never forget when the I'm pretty sure it was called the TI-35 or TI. Oh, yeah. One of those no, things. TI-35. Those calculators were you know a big deal, and if you had an if you had enough extra spendable money, there were a couple models that went you know, much powerful than that. And they actually had little printers attached to them. You know, they make little strips that you programmed them. It was way beyond me. But the point is that TI-35, I'll never forget how uh, teachers would say things like this. Um, Now, you're never going to have, you know, a calculator with you wherever you go. So, therefore, you're going to have to remember all this stuff. You know, yeah, what a change of... (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got one wherever I go, man. Matter (laughs) of fact, my, my... my sons remind me that, uh, Dad, please put that away. I'll help you figure out the tip, you know, later. Right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, oh, that's that's good stuff because that's uh, you know the the AI thing. Yes, that's a whole another planet there with the people who are th- so afraid of it that you know. Well, we gotta instead of thinking in the positive manner, which we might be able to teach right. kids how to use it and such, I'm thinking the opposite of it. And yeah. you know, I just think it's funny because uh, you know what right now. Uh, you know, people can, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever had fun messing with the little device that's the, you know, smart listening device that so many people have that I'm not saying the name on purpose so that anyone listening to set it mm-hmm. off. But, uh, you know, they, 
they programmed it to, so if you say certain phrases and things to it, it, it responds to you. Like, right. you know, if you say uh, something ugly to it, it might say to you, no, that's right. not very nice. <laughs> you know? um, so I think it's funny that uh, people got all kind of bent out of shape when one of those AIs on the, you know, one of the search engines, you know, started talking like it was going to take over the world or something like this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, do you not get a clue that someone made it, <laughs> managed to make uh, it uh, know to say that stuff <laughs> so yeah but right right anyway what a cool world but yeah i i agree with you how do, how do we incorporate it not uh, be afraid of it so um good stuff i all right so i read an article that you wrote that said your school is at the forefront of another frontier called spatial computing could you explain what this is and how it could impact the students or le- who learn in that world yeah i mean um so a lot of that in, in, entails things like virtual reality uh things also like 3D projection mapping, and we've been piling a little bit of that too, and that's interesting. We've been we used it for and kind of an art display. So basically, 3D projection mapping uses that uh, lidar technology, which stands for light detection and ranging. So it's basically, and it's on a lot of people's phones now, which is cool too. But basically, it's a little device we put on top of a and one of our Epson projectors, and we we could map out digital images including video on a 3D surface. So we would have like some sculpture and we wanted to kind of make it come alive. You know, you could basically project onto this statue, for instance, and the light and projection would not show behind the statue, just the statue itself would be illuminated. So that's kind of one part of spatial computing. There's also, um, you know, obviously things like virtual reality and augmented reality or that too. We've done some cool projects with LiDAR back in the day. Um, now this is on your iPhone 13, has LiDAR, you can do the same thing. Basically scanning in, making 3D models of people. So we did that with a thing called structure sensor on the iPad, this little device we took, put on the top. But what's cool about it is that our art teachers would give this, the, the, they were doing a project on Greek mythology, for instance. And uh, the, the task was, we want you to create a 3D model of one of your friends and making them into a mythological creature. So you take the scanner and you would scan the student and walk around them and it would make a 3D model of the student that looked just like the student, but it's a 3D virtual image. And uh, from that, they would drop that into the sculpting app on the Oculus Rift medium and sculpt it. So they would give kids horns or take away both eyes and give them one eye and make a Cyclops. It was really cool and fun. Um, so that's kind of all, in my opinion, spatial computing is a lot of different things. That's cool. That's, and that takes certain things to a whole new level. I mean, I used to play D and D and, you know, have your characters, <laughs> you'd really, uh, you know, um, check me out. I'm now, I am now an elf or I am now an order. <laughs> so, good stuff. You know, it's, uh, um, that, that's awesome. I, you know, I think about, uh, some of this, uh, just, you know, the more you get a chance to use some of these types of devices, I I can't help but think the more it's got to inspire you to possibly like that student you're talking about who discovered, created, you know, found this app, did all this stuff to um, make what he wanted to make or she make happen. Um, it's got to help inspire that type of thinking. I mean, it's just uh, yeah. um, take it beyond where, I mean, we even might even think it might go just because it's in the hands of somebody who's thinking at the right level. I don't know. Right. And you hit on a great point, that word expose or exposure to, um, 
that's been uh, an example of what happened. Um, one of our art students who was a great sculptress, I don't know if that's a word, but she was a sculptor who was female and she loved sculpting in physical environments, but had absolutely zero interest in technology or computers or anything like that. She went in and she went in that, uh, that, that sculpting app and started making these 3D models. And she said, wow, Mr. Lewis, I never thought I wanted to do anything with technology, but now I want to get into digital art and 3D modeling and all this other stuff. So that's an opportunity for a student that she would have never knew she had, you know, the ability to get into that arena. That's so cool. I mean, because that's really what, uh, to me, that's what we, one of our biggest aspects of school is that if we take ownership of the idea of trying to f- find the things that it makes the kid go, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. You know, that's cool. Exactly. Um, awesome stuff. I, you know, I, you, you got me thinking about all kinds of cool things that uh, kind of pop up as a result of all this stuff. Um, now I don't know about uh, what age you're in, but uh, you know, when I was in, uh, in school um, right before high school, by high school, that type of thing. Um, there was this cool show that eventually I read the books that went with it, but it was called, uh, it was on the BBC. It was called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah of course. The program where there's, there's, yeah. there's nothing better in there where the, you know, the, um, the one company that owns all these machines and so forth, they like to make sure that you're happy and, uh, they say things to you about, uh, you know, thank you for letting me serve you and have a nice day. And it, and it, it's funny because we seem to be, if too bad Douglas Adams isn't around today because it'd be nice to know what he thinks about, um, cause I want to take it down this road for just a minute. You know, it's interesting when you have like Amazon experimenting with having stores by themselves with no, uh, nobody running them. The idea that your phone identifies you, you walk in there and then, uh, um, and then it starts reminding you about things you've bought before. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I always kind of envisioned this whole thing where uh, the shipboard computer, Eddie, starts talking to you and saying, hey, guys, check it out. There's Steve. He's welcome back, Steve. And last time Steve was here, Steve bought the follow. Ooh, Steve, that's a lot of you know, you know, cookies that you bought or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know it's, um, we're, we're kind of getting into an interesting phase of things that, uh, you know, whether it's sentient being or not, the idea that it could, <laughs> if they can, it's starting to be, you know, I, I can think it and I can make it. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. It's exciting times and, you know, it can get stressful and a little scary sometimes, but just being um, realizing that a, whatever can be automated is going to be automated period. Whatever a machine can do uh, is going to do. And you've seen that happen with the, the, you know, with factories and, you know, a lot of jobs that when I grew up in the early seventies that don't exist anymore, um, they've been automated. So we just need to be uh, proactive on that with education. Uh, so right. So right. All right. So let, let's say this. Um, if you had the chance to talk with a room full of technology directors who are getting ready for the school year to end and uh, you're at a conference and you were the closing keynote to the conference, what's something that you would uh, want to say to the audience about the future of technology in the classroom? Well, um, I think that for one thing, the only constant is change and that's just, and it becomes more so every year. Um, we need we need to get used to that and and um, comfortable with change because it's it's just happening at an exponential rate. I think artificial intelligence, even though I really don't like that term because I don't think it's an, a sentient or intelligent being by any means, but um, leveraging the power of that is something we need to start really looking at and how we can how we can be uh, better at utilizing it. Um, uh, 
That's cool. That's, that's, that's good. I just wanted to see yeah. if you had some thoughts about things. Because, you know, I like, uh, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier was how people get afraid of things as opposed to, you know, let's figure out where we can go with this. And, you know, and I know part of it is they've uh, been inundated with some things about, uh, you know, um, whether Skynet's right around the corner or something like this and uh, whether we're going to have uh, all of a sudden these Terminator model 4000 that's uh, going right. <laughs> to pop out of, uh, you know, those labs up in Boston <laughs> right, <laughs> with right. those robots they're building. But, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, but it's so fascinating what we can, what we're starting to be able to do and, uh, and create and so forth. And, you know, like I, I've seen some, um, some of the designs that uh, kids have helped design with, with creating hands, um, artificial hands and so forth yeah. and limbs and such just simply by the use of the computer and uh, the different uh, VR and the different stuff to help them envision this thing that would help out a human who's uh, suffered a, a loss of a limb or something. So yeah. I mean, just good stuff. Uh, well, uh, Chad, this has been cool talking with you. Um, you got me all geeked out now. I'm going to be talking to people all around me today about all kinds of cool things. Uh, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Um, well, there's two ways that probably the best ways would be to email me at my school, which is, uh, Tampa preparatory school, but my email address is C Lewis at Tampa prep.org. And, um, another way is it in LinkedIn. My handle is ed create E D C R E A T E ed create at LinkedIn. Very cool. I'll have those uh, in the show notes so that they could find that and reach out to you. Um, so, uh, Chad, I got two last questions I want to ask you, and they're just general questions I like to ask my guests. The first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Um, I think either it's my uh, uh, martial arts background or my military background, but quitting just is never an option. I never, it's not something that's in my vocabulary. I may delay things for a very long time, but I don't quit. And uh, that's just part of it ingrained in me since a young age from karate to taekwondo to now jujitsu. And it's, and also the military, I think helped me with that as well. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say, thank you? Um, well, I think that I don't really have one person in mind. I have many different people in my life. Interestingly enough, I think the main thing is that um, I, I continue to learn from a variety of people every day. Um, it doesn't matter really their background. My technology team itself, I learn new stuff from every day. I learn from all the people on my team that have a variety of different backgrounds. I think that we get into kind of a... a, a a mentality that only a teacher can teach. Everybody can teach. Everyone has something you can learn from. And it doesn't matter their age or their background. You can learn from everyone. Um, I've been taught uh, jujitsu by an 18-year-old boy when I was 48 years old. And uh, I learned a hell of a lot from him. And I've learned people from everybody. So uh, just in general, I think, being open to people, collaborating with people, talking to people, giving people the opportunity to share information with you, no matter who they are. Um, I think that's, that's what's exciting about life. That is awesome. I love it. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for talking with me, by the way, also thank you for service to our country. I appreciate that. Appreciate you. And I mean, you're working in such an awesome world. Thanks for talking with us about VR, AR, spatial computing, and the role that technology can play with the kids and, and the kids in their lives. I'm wishing you the best in all you do. 
Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.